This is the Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. Welcome to the Wealth Ability Show, where we're always discovering how to make way more money and pay way less taxes. Hi, this is Tom Wheelwright, your host, founder, and CEO of WealthAbility. So we hear a lot about tenants struggling to pay their rent. What we don't hear a lot about is the landlords. So how do you collect rent in a crisis when tenants are struggling? That's the discussion we're going to have today with my good friend and one of the top foremost real estate experts in the country, if not in the world, Ken McElroy. So Ken, welcome to the show and thank you for spending a, a few minutes with us today. What's happening, Tom? How are you, man? Doing great, thank you. So uh, Kenny is, uh, I'm gonna give a little bit of background. Kenny is a fellow Rich Dad advisor. Um, he's the founder of MC Companies. Uh, he's a best-selling author. Um, he's basically my competition on the best-selling author list of Rich, uh, of rich Dad Advisors, of ABCs of Real Estate Investing, ABCs of Property Management. Um, a little more prolific writer than I am. Uh, really a, tr a tremendous voice in the real estate industry. So uh, Kenny, if you could just give us like 30 second background. Um, I think people, most people on this, uh, on this call know you, but for the few who don't, who are you? Hey, thanks Tom. I appreciate that. So, um, well, I, uh, started buying real estate, you know, really just out of university. I bought a two bedroom, two bath condo, used my own money you know, and then I ran out of money and, uh, you know, but I did, it did cash flow, And this is way before I met you and Robert Kiyosaki and the rich dad advisors and all that. And, um, but I love the fact, you know, that was my first real estate investment. I was in property management. So I was managing these properties for all these wealthy people, you know, apartments and commercial and office and all that. And I, I was like, man, like these, this is a cool business, uh, you know, because of primarily Tom, what you do, and that is these guys are making all this money and they were, were paying very little tax. And so I was I felt like I was in the right seat at that time learning, you know, the operations. And so um, about 25 years ago, I decided to do it myself. So I started buying uh, bigger properties and putting together partnerships and syndications and all that. And, and you know, fast forward, we've got a little over a billion dollars worth of real estate. Now I've got self storage. I've got office. Uh, we've got um, 8,000 apartments that we still own today. we just sold to 2000, as you know, in 2019 at the top of the market. And uh, that's all we do full time. We, we build them, we buy them, we rent them. Uh, we have a manager company. We we're a general contractor and you, know, we have about 250 employees. We're based in Scottsdale and, and I get to travel on the road and write books and talk to you. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a <laughs> I'm a lucky guy. <laughs> what could be better than that? No, so, nothing. <laughs> so, okay. So you've been through this dance before, right? So back in 2008, you had people struggling a little different this time, I think, because this time around, it seems like um, there's, there's more emphasis from the government on not paying rent. So what do you do? What, if you would, just share what you guys have done, because I know you've done an outstanding job. Tell us what kind of, um, you know, how do you, how do you keep people paying rent when they're having a tough time feeding their families? Well, first of all, what I want to say is that this is an issue that uh, is not uh, unlike 2008. The only difference is, is that this is a virus and that was a banking crisis. So the, the, you know, the, 
the economic results were the same. And so, so we went through this in 2008. We've also been through it in 2001, you know, after 9-11, which was shorter, but it still happened. And so, you know, these are, these are things that happen when you own property and you own business. You know, business gets disrupted, period. And so this just happens to be a virus. And so we've been through this before. And the, 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 you know, what we do not want to do, Tom, is, is kick people out, period. You know, the people that we've rented to, they're good people. They have, you know, they have good careers. Uh, you know, they're paying their rent on time. We have, have 8,000 tenants. We have very, very low delinquencies, very you know, we hardly evict uh, anyone uh, on a month-to-month basis. It just doesn't happen because, it, you know, you got to screen them correctly in the beginning. So these are folks that enjoy living where they, they, they are, they want to rent, and they have good jobs. And so what we do is we just take the approach where we're super proactive, and we contact all the tenants uh, in March. We said, listen, you know, obviously – uh, well, the first thing that we had to do, Tom, is, you know, we're, we're a central business because we're housing. You know, we had to we had to ramp up in, in a two week period with 100 maintenance guys and 100 leasing uh, staff, you, you know, on how do how do you collect rent and 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 um, and lease apartments virtually? And then, then how do you do maintenance, you know, around some of this? And we def- we have some covid patients that live in our properties. And, you know, so so we've been on the front line for all this uh, PPE stuff and everything that we're doing there. So that was a massive adjustment. We did all that in the first two weeks. And then um, and then it was just all about rent collection. And so what happened is, depending on the property, you know, somewhere around 60 to 65 percent of the people came in and they just paid their rent. You know, they owed um, what they owed and their lease was what it was. And and they were they would come in. and, And these are folks that either had savings or they were working or they weren't working or they were, you know, it didn't really matter. They just came in, no questions asked. And then the second tier was a, uh, about 20 to 25% of the people came in and said, listen, you know, we, we need some help. And this is the, this is what we were offering. We said, listen, come on in just like anything else. Like let's say somebody goes to the hospital and they have a two or $3,000 bill from the emergency room. You know, they sit down and they say, listen, I can pay you over 10 months or whatever it is. It's, we, we do the same thing. And so, you know, we're not collecting fees and we're not charging late fees or anything like that. We're just saying, come, let's work with us. You know, let's work together. We'll, we'll, we'll figure this out. So, um, so those two numbers together represented, depending on the property, somewhere between 80 and 90 percent of our residents. So we felt pretty good, and we were so we were dealing with let's say ten to fifteen percent, um, and that was all. And those were the people that were actually that everybody's talking about right now in the media. And um, you know, those are people that you, you know uh, basically are just not communicating, and for whatever reason. Now it might be that they're not even there. But you got to know as a landlord, we can't just walk into somebody's place. So you know, there's regulations around that. And, so we have to post notices and say, you know, is this unit abandoned, for example? And, you know, and then from there, they come in or they don't come in. You know, if they don't come in, you kind of have to assume that it is abandoned. You know, and what you do is you put the notice right over the lock. So, the, you know, the notice is either removed or it isn't removed. If it's removed, uh, it still might be abandoned because they might have went in and pulled all their stuff and moved out. 
But the point is, uh, we're just trying to get people to communicate with us. You know, we don't want to boot anybody out. And then, so you fall into this very last bucket of people that um, either skipped out or haven't communicated. And uh, that's, for us, that's been a very, of 8,000 tenants, that's like a, um, well, you know, less than 300 people. So, you know, that's how we got down to this small number. And, um, you know, and our exposure personally has been pretty low. And, and, and the, the stimulus money that the government gave us, or the employees, I should say, um, and our tenants were, uh, was super helpful because a lot of those people used May, um, you know, use it to pay May rent. And so for us, it was just a process, you know, just walking through it and managing the numbers. Well, so it, it sounds to me like this isn't something that you were able to do just overnight. In other words, it, it sounds like you did a lot on the front end so that when this crisis happened, that you had better tenants and you had a better relationship with the tenants. If you would, Ken, just, just talk for a little bit about how do you develop that relationship with tenants where it's not just a, you know, a vendor, vendor buyer type of relationship where, you know, we're really taking care of the place you live in and we care about the way you care about it. How do you do that? That's a great question. Well, first, yeah. So, so first, the first thing is putting the right person in there. So like, like honestly, Tom, let's say you sold your house and you said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to move to San Diego for a year and see if I like it here. You might rent something for a year and you and Luann might just enjoy the place and then, you know, maybe buy something. So, you know, there's people from all walks of life, you know, renting, especially in Scottsdale and, and, you know, we're in Dallas, Texas and Austin and, you know, and all these other markets, some of them are, are, are really, really nice. So a lot of these renters are, it's a choice, not necessarily a necessity. And so, um, you know, you're going to, so the front end is who is your tenant base? And so I'll tell you something funny that happened. You know, I was looking at all the collections by project and I was like, wow, why are these, you know, three or four or five projects, you know, at 99 and hundred percent collected, you know, in April 1st, it just seems bizarre. And they're like, oh, those are senior properties. <laughs> and, and Roth goes, there you go. Well, yeah. Look, the casinos are closed, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I was laughing, you know, but so, so tenant mix has a lot to do. And that's, that was the point. Tenant mix has a lot to do with this. And so, and then we had properties in Oklahoma that had mostly service base and hospitality and, you know, hotels and things like that. And, you know, those, those people, um, you know, were in trouble. And so you have, you know, all these tenants and all these people that have all these different scenarios. So that's the first thing, but uh, to answer your, the second part of your question, you know, we call that resident retention. It's top of mind. You know, we're always so, so like if you sign a lease June 1st, Tom, uh, we are actually managing you for 12 months. You know, let's say you sign a 12 month lease. We have what's called touch points and we we're communicating with you. We're asking you questions. We're seeing if you need any maintenance in there. You, you know, we're we're, we're saying, hey, we got this stuff going on. And, you know, sometimes we're dropping newspapers and, you know, we're, we're doing pastries down at the clubhouses and things like that. You know, we're talking about it. We bring in fitness people. And, you know, so we we're creating community. And so that's all part of resident retention. What, what we what we want is we want people when they get to the end of their lease to say, you know, this has been a good experience. You, you know, we're going to stay. And so the way we do that is not is by um, phone, obviously by email, by social media. You know, we try to get all their data. 
And so, you know, we know um, everything about, not everything, but we try to get to know everything about everyone so that, you know, we can keep them apprised of what we have going on. And so that there's a whole piece on resident retention, which I don't usually talk too much about, but it's all about managing your turnover. So that was already in place. So we had these open lines of communication with the majority of our residents before this even happened. Right. So you've established a culture there where, you know, people are, are used to hearing from you. They're used to talking to you. This is not a new thing. And uh, and they don't feel like if you're talking to them about their rent um, that, that you're you're out there to get them. Right, right. And we're not. Listen, they 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 pay us. They're our customer, you know, period. They, if, you know, um, I'm trying to make their experience the best that it can be. And that's my job. And, and, you know, so it's, you know, it's not the other way around, you know, we're not entitled, we're, you know, so this is, this is, a, this is definitely the other way around. The, the residents are there. If they don't pay us and we don't pay the mortgage and we default on the mortgage, you know, and it, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there's no cash flow for our investors. And so we always take the, uh, we always take the position you know, we, our motto in our company, if you take a look at MC companies, it's sharing the good life. And, you know, that goes to our residents, our employees, and our investors. And so, you know, we believe that. And if we can create great cultures on site, there's so many things, Tom. We have contests at our properties. And one of them three years ago was an organic garden. We had each property. We, we gave them a bunch of money. We said, okay, we want you guys to do community gardens and let the residents, you know, plant and pick and do whatever they want in this in these gardens and we'll fund it you know those are the kinds of things that we do to try to keep these residents there you know and we uh, we have we have programs around their kids we have programs around the elderly we have programs around health we have programs around the pools you know et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. that's all a little different now obviously but um you know so we had all that stuff in place and, the, and you know if, if we can reduce the turnover by you know, just 1%, even though it's significantly more than that, you know, that means we don't have to lease that unit. It means we don't have to turn that unit. That means we don't have to clean that unit. That means we don't have to spend money on the maintenance. So all the, you know, it's thousands of dollars to turn a unit. And so what happens a lot of the business is people, they rent something and then they're like, okay, great. And then, you know, they don't communicate with them and then they're surprised when they move, you know, so we take a very proactive approach on all of our residents. Well, I, I think you're making a really good point here. And being a landlord is a business. It's a business. You know, we, we do talk about it as passive income, but it's, if you're going to, if you're going to manage it, if you're going to run it, you are in business. And, uh, and, and I love that you, you know, these are your customers and communicating uh, with customers is everything when it comes to customers. Yeah. Yeah, you do the same thing. I watch you. you. You do such a great job of educating your folks and teaching and, and communicating with them. And, you know, the, you, I look at everyone who pays us as, you know, the gold. You know what I mean? Yep. And the, those, those are the residents. You know, eventually it makes it to the investor's pocket. But, um, you know, so a lot of people focus on the investors. and Not to say that they shouldn't be focused on because they should. But, um, you know, you got to balance it. It's not about the investors. It's not about the equity. It's about the tenants. And if you can create a great culture and keep the tenants there, um, you know, and, you know, and also, you know, these are people. It's a humanitarian issue, period. You know, and, um, you know, 
it just is. And so, you know, we have to te- we have to treat people with empathy and, you know, we have to meet them at where they're at. That's it. I love that. So let, let's shift gears just for a minute, Ken, and talk about the 300. Okay. So, um, cause for you, it's, it's a, a small percentage for some people, some landlords, it's a much bigger percentage. Okay. Yeah. And we do have these new rules under, uh, you know, states, some states are not allowing eviction. Although I'm not sure if you evicted somebody who, who you're going to get to replace them. That's <laughs> always been my question. I'm going, why would you evict somebody unless they're a bad tenant, right? I mean, just, just because they, they're struggling financially doesn't mean that they're some, a bad tenant necessarily. But w- what my question is, so how are you dealing with these new rules and regulations uh, when it comes to not being able to evict, the, the CARES Act where you're, you're federally backed and so you, you, you have to forbear on the rents and then... And, 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 you know, compensation, you get to push your mortgage. I mean, how do you deal with all of that, Ken, and your sure. company? Well, we are dealing with it all. Um, you know, we have Freddie and Fannie uh, uh, loans on, on the majority of the portfolio. And, um, but uh, there's a couple things. One, uh, you know, we're involved at a national level with the National Multi-Housing Council, the Urban Land Institute, and of course, on a local level, the Multi-Housing and the Texas Apartment Association, et cetera. So, everybody's dealing with the same thing at the same time. So, so there's a tremendous amount of communication around all of this. And, um, and so, uh, yes, it's true that there's a no eviction policy, for example, in place, but it doesn't say that people don't have to pay. And it doesn't say that they're not obligated based on the terms of the lease period. And so, you know, and so what, what we've done is obviously we're going to follow that, no eviction policy, but it doesn't mean that we can't, you know, start to be proactive on collecting the rent and communicating with these people and finding out where they are. There are very few amount of people, Tom, that are um, just saying, screw you, we don't have to pay rent because, you know, there's a lot of misinformation out there. They, they believe that they don't have to pay. It's only, it's only uh, four months. And so, the truth is, as I told you in the beginning, we, we don't really evict many people anyway. And and you're right. You, you brought up a really interesting point. Like, why would we evict these people? Why would we have them move out? I go, we're not going to rent anyway right now. Like, you know, like we're basically shut down on the rental side for, you know, 60, 90 days. You know, I'd rather have a body in there, help them out. You know, even if they skip after 60 or 90 days and they owe us, I would rather actually do that for them, you know. Uh, and, and, and rather than have a vacancy. So, so, you, you know, back to the humanitarian and the empathy thing, but most people are communicating with us and, but we're following that. And then we have had um, on a number of instances, conversations with our lenders around lenders around forbearance. My partners, you know, very well, just text me while we were talking said, Hey, I just got the phone with American bank. Uh, we got good news, you know, so we'll, you know, we're constantly working on these forbearance things because as a landlord, if people don't pay, you know, we can't pay. And, um, you know, but you know, uh, the cares act came out and protected the, the tenants first and then, get, you know, but when they got all their money in May, uh, and, and, in April, uh, Tom, it helped us a lot. You know, a lot of those people use that for rent. So we don't really see it as a big, as a big issue. Oh, that's, that's good to hear. So one thing I've noticed as uh, you've been talking, Ken, is that it appears to me that you treat this business as a relationship business, both with your 
tenants as well as with your lenders and with your investors. Would you just just for a minute talk about how important the relationships are in in being a landlord? Yeah, well, it's everything. Uh, you know, again, I think it all starts with the tenant. No tenants, no property. <laughs> you know, you know, and so you know, so we, as I, I, you know, I've talked a lot about that and I still believe that I think that these uh, tenants are, are the reason that we're all in business and, and we need to provide the, 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 the best thing that we can on the lender side. It's a very different relationship. You know, um, Ross and I, well, for, for a couple of reasons, one lenders lend to, to uh, companies that have teams and, you know, like yourself, you know, and, and so this is why we say, you know, you know, business is a team sport. So because we have a team of people and, you know, we're dealing with the, the, the situation like we are, this is what lenders want to see. They, they're like, Hey, this is a company that's being super proactive. It's got all these initiatives going on. So we're communicating with our lenders um, on all of this stuff, what our collections have been, you know, where our struggles are, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we're, we're again, you know, I'm fully transparent, Tom. I'm not, you know, burying my head in the sand and pretending like, you know, the people aren't paying. So we're, we, we're fully communicating. And then from there, you know, depending on the lender or the bank, the truth is they're very different. Tom. I mean, you know, Wells Fargo is different than American Bank and different than, you know, um, you know, First Bank. And, you know, they're all very different. And so each one requires a different conversation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so some of them, you know, want, you know, reforecasting and rebudgeting and, you know, we're doing that. It's, you know, so there's all these scenarios that we have. And then on the investor side, as you know, uh, from getting our investor letters, you know, we've been fully transparent. We decided to hold the first quarter distributions, which was honestly, it was a, it was painful for me to do because we actually had a great first quarter. Uh, and, sure. and I mean, I was like, I was like, well, okay, but you got to remember where we were at the end of March. We were like, you know, right. we don't know. We don't know whether we're going to collect rent in April and May. And, you know, we haven't seen June yet. So we're going to do it just as reserve. The good news is, Tom, is that money's still on high ground. It's still the investors. It's not mine. It's the investor money. And, um, you know, the majority of the investors uh, were uh, completely uh, had understood. Uh, and honestly, it was less, I think it was five or six out of, you know, close to a thousand investors that, you know, were, uh, in disagreement. So we felt very good about that decision. And, you know, I just worked through those issues with some of those people and mostly they were other issues that they had. And, um, you know, and so, but now here we are in April and May after, you know, uh, majority collections are done in April, of course. And now, you know, we're almost done through, through May, uh, and we've done much better than we thought we were going to do. Plus we got our PPP money. So, that's been a that's been a, a blessing because you know we've been able to use that for payroll, and so we're gonna actually, um, you know, we're gonna land a lot softer than we thought we were going to, and and so we'll be able to now, um, it, you know, release some of that first quarter uh, uh, distributions soon as a result of you know now that we're through sixty days into this. So for us, it's just been we've been trying to over communicate, and you know, uh, I, we communicate once a week. So to the investors as well. And, and we have a full-time um, person 
that basically handles any and all investor inquiries. So, uh, you know, that's part of also the business. When you raise capital, you have responsibility um, on communication and transparency to the people that give you the money. Yeah, for sure. And I find it, it's interesting. I'm listening to you talk about um, holding that first quarter distribution, right? So I'm very fortunate. Uh, I, like you, I have a great partner. And like you, I have a partner who's a very conservative when it comes to money because I'd spend it. And um, so what we, we did basically the same thing in our company. We said, look, we're not making distributions. What I'm finding, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this, is that the people who were well capitalized have weathered this just fine because then they're able to do, when you're well capitalized, then you're not worried about, okay, am I going to run out of money next week? And instead, what you're worrying about is, okay, how do I make money? And that's a very different energy about making money versus protecting yourself and, and worrying about going out of business, don't you think? Oh my gosh, yes, it's a really, really good point. And, and I knew when, when we got, you know, out of the hundreds and hundreds of emails that we sent out and letters out to the investors, you know, I knew literally it was, I, you can count them on one hand. Um, you know, I obviously know, know who these folks are and they, you know, they had their own thing going on, you know, and I felt yeah. bad for them. Uh, but, you know, we're not going to release a distribution just to help out their personal financial situation The the, you know, even though I wish that I could, because then I would have to do it for, you know, for, for the rest of the folks just to make a one off deal. And so this has a lot to do. I had a conversation with Robert yesterday, as you know, <laughs> he, he sends probably two or three uh, YouTube videos to us a day. And Jackson yep. calls us, you know, multiple times a day. I had a conversation with him last night for about an hour. And, um, you know, he said the um, for the rich, it's money. And for the wealth, it's time. It's a big difference. And I said, where'd you learn that? He said from Buckminster Fuller. He said, the, you know, the, the rich measure their success in money and the wealth measure their success in time. And so you can see the difference, I think, in those two types of people, you, you know, if, if, if you're, uh, and this is exactly why we teach at rich dad is, you know, if you can figure out a way to generate enough passive income to be financially free and not have to rely on next week, next month, you know, income or commission or what, or paycheck, then you're personally going to be in a good financial situation. You know, you, you don't have to have to dig into savings, even though um, I advocate that you have savings you know, just to survive. No, I like that. I like that. So thank you, um, Ken. This has been absolutely uh, perfect. So if you could just, um, what are like two or three things that you would suggest any landlords who might be struggling, any, any, any people who are thinking of, should I be a landlord? Any, any suggestions for them at this point? Well, first of all, there's no better time to be a landlord. I know that sounds contrarian, but if you just think about it, because I'm, um, uh, I'm actually doing a video later today on, you know, where I think this is all going to end and, you know, where we're going to land by the end of 2020. You know, I personally believe that we're going to have 10 million people still unemployed, um, at least, you know, and so it's going to be, you know, we started off in February at, at, at 5.3 you know, and I think we're, this is a, a net uh, 10. So we're going to be actually probably closer to 15 million people to get back to the 5.3 that we usually have. There'll be a plus 10. And so those people, 
are going to be struggling a little bit. Now, it's going to depend on the government, you know, and the stimulus and the money that they're throwing around, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, that's a that's another topic another time. There are going to, you know, we are moving to a nation of renters. That's the point. And so those people, they're not going to be buying houses. You know, they're not going to, they're going to be doing a lot of things. Uh, uh, but they're probably not going to be buying houses if they don't have, if they don't have any work. Good point. So, yeah, I believe that, you know, there's this, the, you know, the best thing you can do is, is get really, really educated. Um, and, you know, what I, what I call don't catch a falling knife. In other words, don't jump in now. Because we don't, you know, we haven't seen the mortgage defaults. You know, you're going to have housing defaults. You're going to have retail center defaults. You're going to have apartments default. You're going to have commercial office default. You're going to have the regional malls default. All that stuff. You know, the prediction is is half the businesses in the malls aren't going to reopen. You know, I saw something yesterday on CNN. They uh, one economist said they they expect 42 percent. This is a big number um, that won't return to work. Well, wow. just take a look at that that's you know close to 13 million people so whatever the number is you know you, you, we can debate on that all day long but the point is it's going to be big and um you know we are heading into a nation of renting but you want to be careful not to buy too soon and that's why i say don't catch a falling knife if you own something right now um, you have to figure out a way to get cash um if you're and and keep what you have because it's going to be gold later you know and um, you want to do anything and everything you can. And that could be through partner cash calls, which I had to do, you know, on that resort I own. You know, we, we did a partner right. cash call 45 days ago. You know, we didn't get any PPP money. We, had, uh, we were mandated to close our restaurant and our, and our resort. And so, you know, we had a bunch of employees, a lot of them actually, and, you know, no income. And so, you know, um, we did a cash call. So that was one way. Another way is, to um, obviously apply for any kind of grants that you can find and, and find ways for, you know, some kind of an assist, some kind of a, assistance, um, you know, financially. And, you know, and this is why this is part of being a landlord, in my opinion, is to have reserves and to have liquidity for these kinds of events. I, I went through this in 2008. Then it was a banking crisis and the government funded the banks. But now it's a um, obviously uh, a virus and um, and the government's telling us we have to be closed. And so they're funding the people. And so, you know, we're going to get into a very inflationary time, I think, because in 08, the money went to the banks and they sat in the banks. And but nobody was borrowing because of exactly what I'm about to tell you is that why would you why would you borrow and buy something when prices are going down? So that's why we didn't see inflation in 2008 is that prices were they were deflated asset prices were deflating and while the money was coming in the economy at the same time and so that's why we've seen inflation recently because you know as that money as a lot of those banks paid that money back so it was uh you know that tarp money so uh i i do believe that we're going to see inflation and the, what you want to be in is hard assets you want to be able to hedge inflation and and so if you can hold on to that and figure out a way to do that, work with your tenants, you know, it might be a rough year for you, but, uh, and, you know, you want to do some discounts and rents. You want to do some one month freeze on a 12 month leases. You want to work with these people. You want to do whatever you can to keep what I would consider the gold in the properties, in the retail centers, in the malls, whatever it is, and, and just do the best that you can. And, 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 you know, and try to stop that revenue uh, loss.
I like it. Thank you. So Ken, Ken McElroy, uh, MC Companies. Um, uh, we, we know we can find you at mccompanies.com. Any, any place else we can find you, Ken? You seem to be all over the place. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, well, I've been doing these. It's been great. I mean, the one thing that's been nice for me, Tom, is, you know, we're doing all these Zoom calls. I'm doing them from my house, and um, I'm having time to, you know, do these videos up on YouTube. I just did a video. It had over 300,000 300, hits in, in like Oh, that's days. awesome. Yeah, so so we're doing videos on YouTube. I've got KenMacroy.com where we, we have a bunch more stuff, uh, you know, for, for uh, real estate uh, uh, professionals and investors and things like that and you know i'm just trying to produce whatever i can based on all our teachings tom i mean you know you and i have been doing this together and you know we're just trying to uh, educate now i appreciate that the reality is is that when we get more financial education like this we're always going to make way more money and pay way less tax we'll see you next time thanks everyone you've been listening to the wealth ability show with tom wheelwright way more money way less taxes to learn more go to wealthability.com This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>